Good morning. Man, that was awesome. Uh, I love it when you leave worship and you're like, I don't know what happened, but I'm pretty sure I don't have to work out today. That's amazing. Uh, I think I just sweat more right then than I have in weeks, so that was good. Um, thank you, Jesus, uh, for the workout. Uh, man, so excited about this morning and so excited to be here with you guys. We're going to be in John 8, so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and flip there. Uh, my lot is going dead, so I'm going to get it as close as I can, unless Anthony wants to come change my battery. And we'll just make it work till you get here. I'm going to lay that right there. You can bring it back when you're done. Um, thank you, brother. Uh, man, this morning I'm so excited just to hear from God and what he's going to say. Aren't you? Man, I'll be honest. I wouldn't wake up and come if I wasn't. Uh, if I didn't expect God to do something in this place, I, I don't know that I would even come to this place because there's just too much other stuff to do in there. Um, but this morning, um, I show up because I know that he's going to show up. And this morning, I believe that again. And I believe that could happen in a more amazing way than we've ever seen before. Uh, and I don't know why, but man, just amazed uh, still at the grace of God. This morning, we're going to be in John 8. We're going to continue this series, Who We Are. I'm so excited um, just to talk about this one more time. Uh, we're going to kind of end this today. This is the one we're done with. Thank you, brother. I love you. Um, good man, thank you. Um, but let me see, that's a heavy battery, look at that. All right, we can see now, hallelujah. Um, just all the people that serve behind the scenes and nobody ever sees them, uh, it was just like a glimpse for you right there. Um, love you guys, and uh, maybe you don't always get seen, but just thankful for what you do. Um, but man, so excited about this series and ending this series today. We've got more culture statements really than we know what to talk about, but <laughs> we just kind of picked a few for this series uh, to talk about. And, and what we've been doing the past few weeks is just talking about who we are as a church, not who we are as the global church. We have some things in common, hopefully, with the, the, the global body of believers on the planet. We hopefully do because we're going to share heaven with them one day. And uh, we don't want to get there with a bunch of people we don't like, right? Um, so... Um, <laughs> Thank you for, yeah. Um, I think I'm funny enough for all of us. Um, it doesn't matter. Um, so, but anyway, um, not talking about the global church this morning, but really what we value in this house, in this place, not as a building. Uh, we are, are a building that used to be a bar, right? And when we leave this place, we're going to go to another building. And we leave that place, if it's not big enough, we're going to go to the next building and, and on down the road to see what Jesus has for us. And it's not about a building. It's never been about a building. Um, this might be a bar again someday. It might be an art gallery. Who knows? <laughs> um, but, man, one day, um, you know, through the grace of God, we're hoping to move to another building. It's not about a building. Um, but it's about people that fill up that building that are the church, the small C in this body of Christ. And, and I'll be honest with you, all churches are different. I don't know if you've noticed that yet. It's true. Or maybe like on the books, right, we're the same, but all churches have a, a culture, things they value. And I, we're not like your last church, praise the Lord. You're not there, right? So there's a reason you're not there. Uh, so we're not like them, and if we are, then you'll leave here for the same reason you left there. It's how it works. I'm, this, I don't want this to be my last church. I, I'm not there for a reason, right? Like, I want it to be the church that it is in this place. So we value some things in this place, and, and, and I'm not saying all those other places are bad, and I'm not saying we've got it all figured out, so don't hear that. But we do have some things we value in this place, and they may not be exactly what you are used to valuing in this place. We've talked about those the past few weeks, and some of the things we've talked about are service. We value service, right? right. Like we, we believe to be involved in the body of Christ, to be a part of the body. You actually have to be a part of the body. That's, that's Bible, right? <laughs> it says that we're all the body of Christ, and we're all individual members of it, and we all have a purpose inside the body. Some of us are eyes, some of us are ears, some of us are toenails. Uh, but praise the Lord, we all got a spot, right? Um, because if you're a toenail, you're still in the body, Right, And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for my toenails when I stub my toe. It's a good day. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we value service in this place because we believe Jesus values service. We value worship in this place, right? Like we, we've seen him and he's worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. And we just believe that you can't not be excited about him once you've seen him, right? Like once you've seen the grace that God has given you, that you have to be excited about that. So we value that in this place. 
We value generosity in this place. Why? Because Jesus was the most generous person that ever existed. God first gave, right? Like the only Bible verse some of us know, for God so loved the world that he gave. Not he come took 10% out of your check, but God so loved the world that he first gave. And he gave in an extravagant way. And people that have seen that grace and seen that, man, we are givers. That's what we do. Amen, hallelujah. Go read Acts, right? The church is made up of givers, or it's supposed to be, and we value that in this place. We're not embarrassed of that. We're not going to talk about it every week either, but we're not embarrassed about it. And this morning, we're going to talk about the last little piece of, of this, and it, it's called, we are celebrators of grace. We have a, yeah, hallelujah. Um, I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about grace um, because I'm a recipient of grace. Um, and if you've ever received grace, you've got to be excited about it because there's something that switches in you that shows you that you don't deserve it. So we value grace in this place to the extent that we celebrate grace. We celebrate the radical grace of God. And we have a guiding document that kind of makes sure our DNA in this place stays intact called culture statements. And some of you have seen it, some of you not. But here's the one for celebrators of grace. We love grace. <laughs> Hallelujah. Like I'm, Celebrators, I don't know if you're catching on, but we're going to expect it to be a little more rowdy than that. We love grace <laughs> in this place. But here's the amazing part. And that means grace for everyone. See, I value grace for me, but I also value it for you. Um, because grace is not something reserved for good people or religious people. Grace is, in fact, free and abundant. I mean, and there's enough to go around. Um, and grace is for everybody. It's for everyone. And when Jesus laid down his life, he laid it down for all people. So we will celebrate grace for all, for sinners, for saints, for the good, for the bad, for the religious, and for the rebel, because everyone has been invited. I didn't say everybody was going to take it. Right? There's, there's a narrow path, right? I didn't say everybody's going to take it. But everyone has been invited into the presence and forgiveness of God through the cross, new sign. The cross was a billboard that said, you can have forgiveness. Yeah. Everybody's been invited into the presence and forgiveness of God through the cross. And everyone, meaning you, meaning me, and everybody else that you've ever met or will ever meet has a shot at salvation in Jesus. Amen. It's not as good if I have to prompt you, but thank you, the, thank you, the brave ones um, who just went for it. Man, I believe that this morning. Now, there's no part in me that believes every person on the planet is going to come to know Jesus. I, I, I don't believe that. But I believe everybody has an invitation today. And this morning, what, what I'm saying is, I've been to a lot of churches that act like the grace is only for a few people. That if you look a certain way, or you dress a certain way, or you act a certain way, or you agree with what we agree with, that you can have grace, and heaven forbid you don't. See, here's the crazy thing. I, I still believe that God saves sinners because God saved a sinner when he saved me. And we get into this deal where we want to classify sin and we want to be like, this sin is worse than this sin is worse than this sin is worse than this sin. And we have a very horizontal view of sin, right? Like, oh, that guy's a major sinner and I'm just a little sinner. And we, we view it that way, but God views sin kind of on the top view. And sin is sin. And I just want to say that to you. Sin is sin. And if you've ever been presented the fact that your sin is a sin that you just, you, maybe you ain't getting to God, I just want you to know today I made it to God. Because God came to me. So I have to believe this morning that, that grace is available for you. And what I'm saying is, is we want to be a house that says there's nobody too far gone for the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus. That those people that other people count out and say, no, you, you will never get grace. We want to say, welcome home. Welcome home. We want to be a place that says, you know what, you may look different, but you're welcome here. 
You, you may think different, but you're welcome here. And praise the Lord. He doesn't leave any of us in that spot. When you get here, he's going to change you. But man, you can come here to be changed. Because I had grace. I've received grace. And I believe with everything in me that grace is available for you. I have to believe that. Why do I have to believe that? Because I have to discount the Bible if I don't. For God so loved the world. Right? That means for God so loved your brother that you think's never getting here. That means for God so loved your cousin that you think there is no way they're ever stepping back into this. For God so loved your aunt and your uncle and your mom and your dad and your best friend and your neighbor and the kid at the Walmart. For God so loved all those people, right? All the people on Magnolia, for whatever reason they're on Magnolia. God loves those people. And this morning, I want to be a place that says, I'm not excluding you because of what you look like. Because if you're included in grace, you can be included in this place. And we value that here. So, man, that's great. Um, but it doesn't mean much if it's not in here, does it? So this morning, I was, as I was praying towards this, God, what, what would show us this? What would show us this? Why, why do we value this, right? What I saw um, was John 8. And if you've ever seen this story, what you realize is, A, this is not a story of celebrators of grace. There's one celebrator of grace in this story, and it ain't the church. This is like the anti-example this morning of showing us what we should not be to show us what we should be. And in John 8, we see Jesus. Um, he's an amazing man. Um, and it says in verse 2, At dawn, he, being Jesus, went to the temple complex of the temple in Jerusalem. He was there, if you flip back maybe a chapter or two for a festival. And uh, he'd, he'd been to the festival, and the festival takes place around the temple. And here Jesus is again going to the temple complex and even says again, right? Like this is not a once-in-a-lifetime thing. This is something Jesus would do when he was in Jerusalem. And it says all the people were coming to him. You always see this when you see Jesus right? All the people are coming to Jesus. It's amazing. Every time you see Jesus, there are people coming to Jesus. Very few times are people going away from Jesus, usually preceded by something weird like eat my flesh and drink my blood, But because Jesus does say weird things. Um, but when you see Jesus, people come to Jesus. It's what happens. Jesus rolls up into a town, people come. Jesus goes out into a wilderness, people come. Jesus crosses the sea, people come. Like That's what happens because people have heard stories of Jesus, if we could catch this, man, it would, it, would it would revolutionize the church today. I just want you to know, people heard stories of Jesus, and they came seeking Jesus. You know what doesn't work? I'll just be honest. Very few times does it work. Very few of you are here because of this, or at least in the church, the big church, because of this. You should come to church with me. I mean, it works sometimes, right? Like, I've been to churches because I've been invited to churches, but I was uh, a saved person at that point in time. Very few times do lost people come to church because they are impressed with your band or your preacher or any of that stuff. They come for other reasons. And, and I'll be honest with you, the reason most of them don't is because they've never heard a Jesus story. That's real. Man, you should come to church. We got the best music. I got a radio, and it's got better music. Those people are paid musicians, right? Like, they, that's their livelihood. That's all they do. You should come to church. We got the best speaker. Yeah, I got speakers all over TV. I can listen to anything I want to. I don't care what your speaker sounds like. He ain't like Jimmy Fallon, right? Like, Jim, he's a good entertainer. I don't know what your guy's like, but he's paid. That's his profession. That's what he does. See, we can't compete with that. We, we've never been able to compete with that. We're not going to be able to compete with that. There's always going to be somebody with better music, better lights, better speaker. It's what it is. But, man, these people didn't come because they were like, man, you've got to see Jesus' new robe. It's amazing. It's amazing. You're going to love how we dress at Jesus Club. People didn't come because it was like, you know what? When Peter gets out that guitar, brother, and just breaks into how great is our God, it's the most amazing thing in the world. And then uh, Bar Bartholomew, only like three disciples' names. Barth <laughs> That's horrible, sorry. Uh, but <laughs> he just, man, he does the best drum. So, like, nobody came for that. What they came for? Uh, Jesus was walking down the street the other day, and there was a guy there. He's never walked before. I know him. His name's Tom. And, like, he, he spoke to Tom, and he's like, hey, you know what, Tom? Just get up and take up your mat and walk. And it's like, Tom was a paralytic. 
I don't know if you know what that is, but like Tom's never walked before in his life. I was there like the whole deal. He's never walked before. And Jesus said, Tom, get up. And Tom's like, okay. And he got up and he like rolled up his bed and he just walked off. I've never seen anything like that. And then people came. They don't care what we do. They care what he does. Right? And if people aren't coming, it's probably not because we're not telling them something. It's just because we're not telling them the right thing. What is Jesus doing? I'll come for that every day. I don't know what you guys are doing. I don't care about it. So people come to Jesus every time, and they're drawn by these stories of, you know what, Jesus was just, he walked up to a grave the other day, and he said, hey, come out, and this dude just came walking out of there. He was dead like three days ago. I don't know what happened, and Jesus called in there, and he got up. That's amazing. You should come see Jesus. He does really cool stuff all the time like that. Jesus was like walking down the street the other day, and there was this blind guy, and he's sitting there, and I know him. He's blind. He's been blind every day that I've ever seen him anyway, and, and he, he's sitting there begging for money, and Jesus walks up to him, and he heals him, and he, he can see, and uh, I haven't seen him there in like three days. People will come for that. And they've heard these stories about how Jesus could do these amazing things, and then they show up. It's amazing. It works every time. See, that's what draws people. Jesus' stories draw people to Jesus. Church stories don't draw people to church. So they're telling these Jesus stories out there in, in this area, and Jesus shows up at the temple, and people do what they do every time Jesus shows up. They come to see Jesus. They come for whatever reason, right? I want to see him heal people. I want to see him teach because he's like a teacher unlike any other teacher I've ever seen. Um, Jesus is the coolest guy I've ever seen. He hugs everybody. Like, whatever that is, right? Like, they came for that reason, and, and it happens a lot. And Jesus did what he'd done every time they came. It says he sat down because that's what teachers do in this time when they teach, and he began to teach. Now, if this was me, I would get frustrated, I'll be honest. Every time I'm trying to do something, I'm just trying to go worship, I'm just trying to go in the temple and do my thing, and then people show up, and then i got to quit doing my thing, and i got to do their thing. I would get frustrated. Jesus never does that. I just want to say this morning, whatever you're doing, whatever you're looking for, Jesus is not too busy for you, and apparently he doesn't even get frustrated, so it's going to be a good day for you. And it says, Jesus sat down, and he began to teach these people. And as he was teaching these people, I don't know if you can imagine the scene, but Jesus sits down, and let's just kind of imagine like one of those kindergarten circles where everybody gets around, and Jesus is there, and he's talking, and everybody's just kind of listening. Um, and it says, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the scribes and the Pharisees, religious people, church people, right? They're never the heroes of the story. They just never are. So these scribes and Pharisees show up, and you know it's probably not going to be for a good reason. They didn't come to hear Jesus teach that day. And it says they brought with them a woman, um, not because they wanted her to know Jesus or because they wanted her to get saved, but because she was caught in adultery. They brought with them a woman who was caught in adultery. Now, this is the only time they probably ever had time for this woman. Because religious people don't hang out with people who are caught in adultery. That's kind of taboo, and we don't want to be their friends, because whatever, right? I won't get into that this morning, even though I could. And um, it says they brought this woman who was caught in adultery. Now, caught is like not, I think she's having adultery, or maybe I heard this rumor that she is an adulteress, but like they caught her in adultery there's not like a defense for that or like a denial for that like we saw it it was happening if you get kind of what I'm saying but the weird thing about this in my brain anyway is like how did they do that because that, that's that's a that's a sin that's like what we would think of as a secret sin you don't just like find a corner in the temple and 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 do that like that's not what was happening so like they were either walking down like every street in Jerusalem kicking down doors just seeing hey are you married are you married okay cool we'll go to the next house or they knew this was happening beforehand and it just never mattered because it wasn't convenient at the time now I just want to say this story in no way shape or form from the Pharisees or the Sadducees is about this woman they didn't do this because this woman is wrong and she needs justice. They didn't do this because they're trying to teach people if you do this, then you're far from God and this is the result. They didn't do that for any of that reason. The reason was they wanted to catch Jesus or trap Jesus. See, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but how infuriating would it be to these men for Jesus, this carpenter in their brain, right, this uneducated man in their brain who has no business teaching 
He didn't go to Pharisee school. He didn't go to seminary of the day. He didn't go to any of that fancy stuff. He's a man who built chairs and houses, and now he's, he's, he's teaching people what these people should be teaching people. He's, he's doing their job, and he has, doesn't have the credentials. And then Jesus rolls up into the temple, a place where they would be supposed to teach, and he sits down, and people like they've never seen before gather around this man. This man. And what happens here is jealousy. They don't like Jesus because they can't be Jesus, right? He's just a carpenter. He's, why, what's the big fuss about? They, they couldn't see it because they thought the fuss should be about them. They thought they were the big deal. So was in their mentality, if I'm the big deal, he can't be the big deal. Maybe we get in our way that way sometimes. I don't know. But it says these, these people brought this woman who was caught in adultery and they made her stand in the center. Now this could be two things, right? Center of our little preschool circle or this could be center of the temple complex. I have no idea. Uh, I, I lean more towards one, but it's opinion, so who cares? Um, and, and they made her stand in the center. Can you imagine this lady, right? Been caught in adultery, Pharisees, Sadducees, they don't like people like me. Drag me out of the room, take me to the temple complex. I already know this is not going to go well for me. I'm not going to get there and they're going to be like, hey, we're just really concerned about you and we just, we think you should repent and quit. Like, that's not what's going to happen. They're like, you know, Leviticus um, 2010 says we should stone people like you. And we're going to take you in the center of religious stuff for the city and we're going to do that. She knew this is not going to be the best day of my life. And they roll up in there and she's probably not, I mean, just caught in adultery so she probably didn't have time to get ready and get her makeup on. Uh, And they drag her in there and and then make her stand in front of all these people who are religious people, who are people that should be, right, in, in the temple. And she's the odd one out. She's the one that shouldn't be in the temple. You can, this is not good, right? I feel weird. I feel judged. I obviously have been doing something I shouldn't be. I'm feeling shame and guilt and condemnation. And I'm feeling like I'm probably going to die here in a few minutes. This is not the best day of this lady's life. And then they drag her down there in, in the center in front of everybody. And... and This says in 4, they say to Jesus now, teacher. Now, why would they do that? Because they don't like Jesus. They don't respect Jesus. They don't, rabbi is like a term of, like, compliment, right? Oh, teacher, you're you're a teacher. You're you're, you're smart. You you know the word. You you can teach this word. That's not what they're doing here. You can almost hear, like, the the sneer kind of in the voice, right? Like the teacher. Oh, you think you're a teacher? We got you. Oh, you carpenter kid, you, you're going down like teacher. They're not impressed with Jesus is what I'm, I guess I'm trying to say. So they throw this out there, and it's not a compliment. And it says, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. Like, you can't get more plain than that. It's not maybe she was or she possibly could have been or rumor is. It's like, no, we, we saw it, and if we had Polaroids, like, we, we, that hasn't been invented yet, but if it was, we could, we could show you. Like, she was caught in adultery. Don't try to defend her because she has no defense, right? And don't try to act like maybe we're wrong because, I mean, we saw it. She was caught in adultery and the act of committing, right? You can't get more plain than that. And then they do this really weird thing. And it says, um, they say in verse 5, in the law of Moses, right? Um, in the Old Testament, first five books, uh, it commands us to, to stone such women. Again, Leviticus 20.10 is one of those. There are a couple more. You can look them up if you just really want to know. Um, and, and, and they ask Jesus, so what do you say? Now, does anybody find that weird? Here's Pharisees and Sadducees, religious leaders of the day, people who obviously know like the, the, the Bible as they have it very well. They know what it says. They, can even, they even say it says in the law of Moses we're supposed to stone her. But then they look at Jesus and they, and they say, what do you think? <laughs> Why in the world would, would it matter, right? They, they viewed Jesus as a carpenter. He, he was not the son of God to them. He was not the Messiah to them. He was just some annoyance that happened to be in the temple they were trying to get rid of. Why, why does it matter what his opinion about what God says is? Even in their ignorance, they give him the authority. It's amazing. Um, 
But they asked Jesus, this is what the law says, what do you say? And they didn't do this as a compliment. They didn't do this because he's the best teacher they've ever heard or because he he can speak into tombs and raise up people. They did this to trap him, right? It even says kind of right after that, that they asked this to trap him. You can't get more plain than that. In order that they might have evidence to accuse him. They're already trying to figure out how we can get rid of Jesus. They were sitting in the temple. Here's Jesus teaching. That's annoying. That's should be me. Those are my crowds. Those are my people. I should be the one over there. How are we going to get him? You ever heard of that lady? You know, like whatever her name is. Uh, I don't want to pick a name because it might be somebody in here or your cousin or something. Uh, she's down there, uh, down the road, like three houses down, committing adultery. I just I saw her come in on the way to work today. You want to just drag her out and we can bring her up here and we can try to get Jesus to, to go against the law of Moses. That's what they're trying to do. Because in this moment, what they saw was like two choices. A, Jesus had to uh, go against the law of Moses, and then he would be like condemned as a heretic, and then like they could just get rid of him that way. Like, oh, you went against the word of God. You should be stoned, right? Or B, he would have to align himself with these people. I'm just like them. They saw it in black and white. There were two choices. There was only one way, and and. You know, that's mostly how we see it in black and white. But Jesus, think the Lord sees in full color. And, and it says, Jesus does this weird thing. He stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. I don't know if you can imagine this, but like here we are and we're like in the thing. And here's this lady and I was just teaching and now you guys are here. And they ask him this question. Hey, this is what the law says. What do you say? Can you imagine just in the, this doesn't even make sense. Like this is only a God thing. Right? Like Just in the middle of the conversation. Okay. Give me a minute. You know, like, and he just starts writing on the ground. Now, what's amazing is, I just want to throw this in here because you need to know, it doesn't say what he wrote on the ground. You know why it doesn't say what he wrote on the ground? Because it's actually not important to the story. Here's the amazing thing. I've heard entire messages on what he wrote on the ground. You have probably too if you've been around church very long. And I just want you to say, to know, if God wanted us to know, if it was important, it would be in the story. And it's not because it doesn't matter. And if you focus on that, you're going to miss what actually happens in the story. Jesus could have been drawing the little Jesus fish. He could have been playing tic-tac-toe. He could have been writing grace or you guys are stupid or ha-ha. It doesn't really matter what he wrote on the ground. Jesus was writing on the ground, right? Just playing in the dust. It's like what a kid would do if you take them. I used to do this at the ballpark all the time. I didn't play baseball. I went to the outfield and drew in the dirt. That's what I like to do. Um, and, and they would hit stuff my way, and I would watch it go by and play in the dirt. That's what I would do. And this is what Jesus chooses to do in this moment. And they're thinking, oh, we got him. Right? This is a stall tactic. He doesn't know what to say, so he's down here writing on the ground. If he was writing grace on the ground, they would know they had not won the thing, right? Like <laughs> um, Jesus was just doodling, right? And, and they're thinking the whole time, like, man, we've got him. We've got him. We've got him. Oh, yeah, he doesn't know what to say. This is it. We finally got him. They've, they've done this time and time and time again, and every time Jesus has come out, and they think, oh, we've got him this time. And it says that they're so confident in it, actually, they start like, poking him right like what do you say jesus come on we don't have all day do 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 you know like jeopardy theme and they're just waiting for jesus to 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 admit i have no idea or for jesus to deny the law and then hey we've got him or or agree with them and then hey nobody cares what you say anymore because you're just like one of us so it says when they persisted in questioning him they're continuing what do you say teacher Huh, teacher, what, don't you know, teacher, why are you just drawing on the ground? That's weird, you're not a kid, get up from there, you know, like, answer us, answer us. It says, when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up. Here's where it gets bad for them. And he said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. I'm going to read that again, because I think what we always hear is, ah, it's none of your business, right? I don't care, just write that off. Sin's not a big deal. That's what we want to hear when we hear this because that's what we want to think. But that's not what he says. He says, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. That's his exact words right there on the paper. Jesus didn't stand up and say, you know what, let's just not worry about sin. Sin's not a big deal. Did he say that? He didn't say that at all. He said, you know what, you're right, basically, right? 
He agreed with, yeah, it's, it's true. I know the scripture, I am the word, right? Read, go read the first of John, like the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like he's the word. He knows the word. And he basically stood up and he's like, you know what, I, I agree. You're, you're right. She, she's an adulteress. I can't defend that. I can't come around that. I can't just wash that away. You're, you're right. She is a sinner. Thank you. You know what, as a reward for bringing her here, um, whoever out there is perfect, like whoever's the, the most best, right? Like whoever's there and, and who's never sinned, why don't you take this reward and you throw the first stone? And then everybody else just jump in whenever you feel it necessary. He didn't even say like only perfect people can stone her, did he? He didn't even say that. He said the one without sin among you, why don't you throw the first stone? The the one out there who's never sinned before, take this reward and and you 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 stone her. Now I don't I don't know because again this is not here, but I can just even imagine right Jesus being like anybody want a rock like, and then he just stoops back down and he starts finishes his tic tac toe game or whatever he did right. Let's go back to doodling. I think that's important that we see that because Jesus didn't just say, you know what, let's not worry about sin, did he? He didn't say, ah, let's just not worry about anything in the Old Testament. Like that was for a different time and a different group of people. He didn't didn't say any of that. I think what he just said is, you know, like unless you're perfect, it's not really your business, is it? Because it could just as easily be any of us that we drag into this circle and throw rocks at. Actually, if you're willing to throw rocks at somebody, then why why wouldn't it be me next time? Right? We we jump in these groups and we, we get together and we verbally throw rocks at people. And I just want you to know every person in that group with you that would verbally throw rocks at people will verbally throw rocks at you. As soon as you get in a place that it can happen. If somebody's willing to talk about somebody with you, they will talk about you to others. And Jesus looks at these people and he's like, okay, you, I'm, I'm not going to try to change or argue the word of God with you. I'm just going to say, like, if that's what you want to do, um, if you're perfect, then you go first and then just do what you want to do, guys. And shoots back down and starts riding on the ground again. And it says in 9, when they heard this, all the air got sucked out of the room and their jaws dropped. It doesn't say that, but I just want you to see it. Um, It's there between the comma and the they. Um, It says they left one by one. When they heard this, and not like hit their ears, but it hit their hearts, right? Because I think a lot of times we hear things, but we don't like hear things. Like, oh, that's for Billy, or that's for Joe Bob, or I'm trying to pick names that aren't in here. Um, And it, like, hit their heart. It says that one by one, they, they started walking away, or they left, beginning or starting with the older men. See, the amazing thing about what Jesus did here is Jesus didn't ignore the Scripture. He never did that. He will never actually do that. He will, he will never deny the, the Word because to deny the Word would be to deny himself. He's not going to do that. And a church that will deny any part of the Word is actually denying the Word. He, they're denying Jesus. Like if you just, I'm willing to clip that out or uh, that doesn't really matter or that was to a different group of people, then you're denying Jesus. Pack it up and go home. He meant what he said or he wouldn't have said it. Like 99% of the time, it's actually up to him to carry out a lot of it. We're not like his little police force down here. Um, He never denied what the word said. He just made these men turn the attention away from this woman in the center to the center of them. And it became less about her sin. He put the focus on their sin, right? I mean, she's wrong. She was caught in adultery. She is wrong. I can't say that she's not wrong. Like, they they saw it. Can't defend it. Can't deny it. She was wrong. And she, by the law, deserves exactly 
what the law says she deserves. But I think what he was saying is, you need to, before you start chucking rocks at her, check you. Well, what is this, what's in here? If, if, if you really, like, are you, are you really so much better? I think might be what he would say. I mean, maybe, maybe you're not caught in adultery, but like, what are, what are you caught in? What's your issue? And if there's somebody here, if, if, if there's somebody here that is perfect by all means, have at it. But if this could be you, then you don't have any business starting the rock fight. And when these men started thinking, you know what, I'm, if I throw this rock, what I'm saying is I've never messed up. If you're verbally assaulting someone or you're for their sin or you're willing to physically assault them for their sin, what you're saying is you're perfect. I've never messed up, therefore you're worse than me because if you've ever messed up, you can just switch places. And he's saying, and these old men hear this, and they're like, man, if I throw this rock, what I'm saying in front of everybody here is I've never messed up, and and (laughs) some of these guys know me. You threw that rock. Come here, let me tell about what you did, you know. And they start internalizing, man, I'm not perfect. I'm I'm not perfect. See, it's a different game when my standard of perfection is based on your standard of perfection, right? Like if if I'm going against you, man, I, I could probably come out on some of it and some of it you guys come out. But what Jesus reminded them of is the standard is not you're this woman caught in adultery or you're not. The standard is you're God or you're not. See, the church, we want to like dumb everything down, don't we? I mean, we're not like them, so we're pretty good. We don't talk like them, so we're pretty good. Or we don't do what they do, so we're pretty good. Or we don't go where they go, so we're pretty good. And Jesus says, you know what? The standard has never been pretty good. The standard actually has always been perfection. And if you're not perfection, then you have no business calling out anybody else for their imperfection because an imperfect glass is an imperfect glass. It doesn't matter where the chip is. So he says, those of you without sin, you can cast the first stone. And these men, you can just feel it. Step back and drop their rock. I I can't. And they walk away. Now, can you imagine seeing these older men be the first to break away? Because if you're a younger man in the circle, odds are one of those older men is your mentor. If you're a Pharisee or a Sadducee, you have to have a teacher. And one of these guys is probably that for you. And to see your teacher, a man who you idolize, who you think, man, there can't be anybody better than that person. Admit, you know what, I'm a sinner too. And walk away, you start feeling pretty lonely in the moment because you thought they were perfect and they just admitted to you that they are not. So as they walk away, you're forced to walk away because you know the man you idolized is not somebody you're better than. And it says, only he was left, he being Jesus, with the woman in the center. Jesus apparently just cleared out the temple with that comment. You know why? Because in the entire temple... There was nobody who was perfect. Let's just change temple out for church. In the entire church, there was nobody who was perfect. The leaders were there. The preachers were there. The teachers were there. The people that Jesus was sitting around the circle with earlier, they were there. And when the standard became perfection, everybody got cleared off the map. And who was left was the woman who we already know was a sinner and Jesus. And it says that he was left alone with her in the center. Now, this is kind of where I would tend to think that they were in the center of the temple complex. But let's just go and say that um, it's amazing how you can be alone with Jesus in the room and he makes you feel like you're the center, right? You're the center of attention. You are the thing. You are the, the, the one. You're the point. 
He's the point, but he makes us feel like we are sometimes. So it's amazing how the greatest being in the universe will allow us to feel like we're important. And if he makes us feel like we're important, we probably are in some level or something. And it doesn't matter what other people say. It matters what he says. So I just want you to know today you're important to him. And here this woman is, uh, and here Jesus is, and they're the only two people left in this place. And Jesus does an amazing thing again. It says he stands back up. Apparently his drawing is a masterpiece now because we don't see him stoop back down. And it says in 10, when Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Notice he didn't say, woman, don't worry about your sin. Everybody's imperfect. Everybody messes up. Everybody, you just keep doing your thing. You go back down there to Jimmy's house and just hang out. And, you know, like he didn't say any of that. He just said, where are those people that were accusing you? Where are the, Where's the mob? Has no one condemned you? As if to say, I guess they weren't that much better than you really, were they? And she says, no one, Lord. She didn't say nobody teacher or nobody whoever you are or nobody with the nice robe in the worship band. She didn't say any of that. So no one, Lord. I, I don't know if we have the definition for Lord. Do we have that? Um, and Lord is someone or something having power or authority or influence, a master or a ruler. She looks at Jesus, a man who she'd met moments ago, and says something really weird to him. She basically calls him master. You have power and authority. These Sadducees and Pharisees saw him as a carpenter and a mock teacher, and here a woman who's been affected by Jesus sees him as master, and it's only been a few seconds. The Pharisees have had who knows how long to deal with this Jesus thing, and she just comes in to the presence and immediately through, I'll just be honest, the grace of God recognize him as something greater. It says, no one master, no one Lord, she answered, and then this amazing thing happens, and this is by far the, the best thing in the story. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. I don't know if you see what happened here. The reason Jesus didn't have to leave the temple complex is he was saying, you that are perfect cast the first stone and everybody had to reflect inwardly on their sin and and leave the reason jesus didn't have to leave is because jesus literally had never sinned there's this amazing thing that happens in the story where jesus who is the only one in the universe who can cast a stone looks at this woman who has no defense and who can offer no denial, who is guilty, guilty, guilty. And Jesus looks at her and he says, you know what? I don't condemn you either. He didn't say sin is not a big deal. And he didn't say, we'll just overlook it. But the amazing thing is, Jesus didn't come to enforce the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Jesus didn't come as God's police officer down here to blast the sinners away because we would all be doomed. He come as God's uh, in, in invitation to offer us a way out of sin and back to Him. And here in this story, the one man who could have said, you know what, I'm perfect. Not only am I perfect, I am the law, right? Like, I am the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word created everything in kind of the end or middle of that story. It says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Everything it says on these pages is, is Jesus. So when, when it says, you know what, don't commit adultery, when she was committing adultery, who was she committing it against? Jesus, he, he was the offendee in the case, right? Like It wasn't just like, I'm perfect, therefore I can judge. It's, I'm perfection. I'm the standard, and you've broke the standard. 
And I have this amazing word called mercy where I offer compassion and forgiveness on those who I can destroy. I should stamp you out. This rock, I should take it and I should chuck it at you because sin is a big deal. But here's the amazing thing. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let this rock be thrown at me instead. See, Jesus knew, man, I don't need to punish you for this sin because here in just a little while, I'm going to go to a cross and I'm going to be punished for it. So he looks at this woman and he says, if, if they don't, I won't. Uh, neither do I condemn you. You know, the amazing thing, if we flip back just a few um, verses, I, I didn't know I was doing this, so it's going to take me just a second. Sorry about that. What, what, is, what does he say in, in John 3.16? It says, For God so loved the world, or God loved the world in this way he gave, God being the giver, his one and only Son. Who is that? It's Jesus. So that everybody who believes in him, everybody that sees his grace and will call him Lord, everybody who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Look at this in 17. For God did not send his Son into the world that he might condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him can I just say this morning that if that's not what Jesus come for it's probably not what he left us for if Jesus didn't come to condemn he probably didn't make that number one top of the agenda for the church If Jesus wouldn't throw stones at a lady who by all means should have been far away from Jesus, he didn't pack our bags so that we could walk around this world stoning those who need grace and mercy and love. That's why it hurts me so bad when I see a church or churches or church people who will, who will stand on the side of the road and yell things like, God hates queers. No, God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever would believe wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. We were condemned already, but to save. And the amazing thing is if we would stand on the side of the road and yell that, then why don't we stand on the side of the road and say God hates hypocrites and God hates liars and God hates you and God hates me and God hates everybody else because sin is sin. And because my sin is different does not make it less. Because my, I'm not tempted by the same things as you does not make me better than you. See, the reality of it is we are all fallen people. And we all live in a fallen world. And we all deal with temptations. And some of us give in to temptations. But praise God, he didn't send a condemner because you would be dead. And I would be dead. He sent a what? A savior. Someone who came to save. And his name is Jesus. And here's the reality today. If you're a condemner, you've never met the savior. Or you may have not. At least you don't see him. At least you don't know who he is. At least maybe you got a little part. I don't, I'm not going to hell, but I've never really spent any time with you. Because here's the reality. Jesus spends time with the people we count out every time we see him in the Bible. Do you realize that? The people we say, there's no way in the world God would ever get a hold of them. That's the people Jesus likes to hang out with. You would probably be the other people. And so would I. See, here's the amazing thing about this story to me. There are two positions we can take in this story, right? We can't be Jesus. We're not him. So we can either say, I have no defense. And I have no denial. I'm exactly who you see. I am a sinner. I am messed up. I am fallen, I am far, I am not good, I am unclean. All my righteousness is as filthy rags and I'll never be anything better than that but through you. 
I realize I deserve death. I realize that you should throw everything you got at me. I should take on the collective wrath of God on my own. That's why even people like Paul can say, you know what, I'm the chief among sinners. Or we can be those other people that say, I'm not too bad. Compared to them, I'm not too bad. Compared to them, I've, I've got it together. Compared to them, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a normal dude and I'm a religious dude and I have, you know, like I, I, sh- I should be here teaching this thing. But can I just say, there was only one person in the story that was left with Jesus at the end of this story. Everybody else lost out. Everybody else missed out. See, the reality of it is these are people that knew the most about God in this area. They had memorized large sections of the Scripture. They had read things like, man, I, if, uh, I, would, I would desire to gather you like a, a hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't. They, they would have read in the Old Testament about the mercy of God. I know that sounds silly for some of you, but it's because you've never maybe read it. There's, it's the same God. And the whole story is offering mercy and forgiveness, right? Like Adam and Eve jack it up in the story, same, same chapter, right? Like, oh, her seed, there's going to be one that comes, and he's going to stomp that serpent's head. He's already offering redemption. In the same story, he's already making a sacrifice. Jesus is the only one who ever makes sacrifices that are worth anything. He made the first one, he made the final one. Everything in between was just, a, <laughs> just kind of a display. Hey, we're waiting on yours. And they should have, at this moment, drugged this woman to the temple and said things like, I'm worried about you. Because you're far from God and he's got so much to offer. Turn back. Turn back. You're walking away, and I can see it, and I'm worried. Turn back. Not, you're walking away, you're such an idiot, I'm going to kill you. And I'll just be honest, man, I've been to a lot of churches where I would say that their story is more like the one of the people in this story. Why are they here? Do you know who she is? Do you know what they do? Man, do you see what they put on Facebook on Saturday? Why'd they show up here today? And what I'm saying is, as the people of God, we get to decide where we're going to fall in to this story. Maybe today, the reason we see so many churches, so many people, maybe we even are those people. That look down on people that are far from God and, 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 and wish them bad is because in reality we have forgotten where we came from. We've forgotten how far it was actually that we had fallen. See, the reality today is I think we have a church that's infected with this idea of minimal grace where we see the standard as the people around us. And we've forgotten that my standard has never been based upon your standard. My standard isn't even affected by your standard. See, in reality, it's a relationship between me and God, not me and you. And you can be great or you can be horrible, but my standard is still the same. I can be better than you or you can be better than me, but my standard is still the same. And no matter how you act and no matter how you live and no matter what you do, it doesn't change anything for me. I'm still in need of extravagant grace because I was dead. I was dead. I wasn't bad. I wasn't just kind of a little bit out of the way. I hadn't just made a wrong turn. I was dead. I was out of hope. I didn't have any hope. I was born into death, and I was headed towards death, and I was headed towards the wrath of God, and I was in need of not a teacher or a healer or a one-upper or a grade-rounder. I wasn't in need of any of that stuff. What I was in need of was a Savior. And Jesus, he came down to me to do what? To save me. I was the woman in the middle of the circle and everybody around me knew it, right? And Jesus was standing there and, and, he, and he looked at me and, and he said, you know what? 
I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Actually, I want to save you. I want to raise you up out of that. I want to make you better than you ever thought that you could be. I want to enter into a relationship with you. I want to dwell with you. I want to, I want to show you who you are, and then I want to show you who I am. I want to be with you. And aside from that, man, it doesn't matter how good I tried to live or how many good deeds I tried to do. I was doomed to stay in my death. You know what I didn't need to tell me I was dead? At 11 years old, I didn't need anybody to say, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. I didn't need people following me around at school saying, I shouldn't have done that. I needed Jesus. And he was exactly what I needed. And he worked for me. And I'll be honest, every day I find out just a little bit more how in need of grace I am. I'm not seeing myself as better as I walk towards the cross. I'm seeing myself as farther away as I walk towards the cross. And I see every time I get a clearer picture of who he is, just how different I really am from what he is. See, maybe from miles away from the cross, Jesus just looks a little higher than you. But when you get up near the cross and you see, man, it's not just a little higher. You are miles and miles and miles and miles better than me. And I, I, I need mercy. When you see that, Man, what you do is something clicks in you, something changes in you, and it doesn't become about, I need mercy, so don't worry about you guys, and I need mercy, so there's not enough for any of you. It's, you know what? It worked for me. I was a sinner, and I was far from God, and God brought me near at the cross, and I can see him, and he loves me, and I just want you to know this grace is amazing. It does something in us. And it transforms our heart to make us people that celebrate grace, but not only for us. Some of us are so underwhelmed with what God has done for us. How would we ever lean into that for other people? Oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, you need to, you need to draw close. Because it's amazing here. And when we see that and we get a hold of that, what it does is it changes something inside of us. And not only do we celebrate grace for us, we celebrate it for others. We start telling stories about, you know, I, 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 I don't know about you, but I mean, I was, I was far from God. I was dead. I've not always been with God. I actually, like I grew up in church, but man, I was so empty. For 11 years, I heard message after message after message, and I was empty, and I knew, I knew I was missing something. And one day, I don't even really know how to explain it. God said something to me. I don't even know how that happens, but I mean, I knew it and I felt it and, and I went and prayed and I don't even know what I prayed, but what I remember is, man, when I got up, I got up full. I wasn't perfect, but I was full and I've been walking toward him since then and I just want you to know there's nothing greater. I've tried other stuff. There's nothing greater. Not only do we celebrate grace, you know what? I have been saved, and if he'll save me, I believe it for you. I've been changed, and if he'll change me, I believe it for you. Not only do we celebrate it, but we become people who extend it. Amen. Right? It's hard when you've been given grace, and you realize how much grace you've been given to take a rock and to chuck it at somebody else. Oh, I can't believe you live like that. I can't believe that you believe you're better than that. We become people who champion grace, who, who, who push other people toward grace. Man, I just want you to know grace is here and grace is free and you got to get there. You got to get there. I believe it for you. I know you're caught in this and I know that, man, your life seems like it's falling apart and I know like you've got addiction or you're over here caught in adultery or you're in, in this problem in your life or you think these things, but I just want you to know, man, grace is available for you. We become people who champion grace. And we're people who believe grace for other people. If the words ever come out of our mouth, God wouldn't save blank. We've never seen who we are. And because of that, we have no idea who he is. 
If we ever get to the point where we believe people are too far gone that because of this issue or this problem or this sin that that God's not going to do it, man, we are neglecting to see the grace of God and we are making the price that he paid cheaper by the day. And we serve a God of grace, of unmerited, unearned favor and love. I didn't do anything to get it, and neither did you. Romans 5 says, man, there ain't many people who would die for a good person. Let alone somebody just die for an innocent person. Man, God committed his love toward us. God showed us his love in that while we were yet sinners. While we were yet far away, while we were yet counted out, while we had no hope, Christ died for us. Man, I believe it because I've seen it. And this morning we can be a church that celebrates it. You get to choose this morning who we're going to be. You get to choose this morning who's welcome in this place. You get to choose this morning who you believe grace for. But before you believe it for them, I need you to believe it for you. Grace is free and grace is abundant. And we all have a way through him.